You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Amen. Can we just thank the Lord in this place? Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. You may be seated. So grateful to see each and every one of you. It has been an amazing week, and my week is already off to a great start just getting to be with you on a Sunday afternoon. I am looking forward to what God has in store for this coming week. Are you? Are you excited? Uh, Once you get into Holy Week, once we... uh, ramp up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're going to celebrate this Sunday. There are things in the world that even though we can look at them and get discouraged and maybe get a little bit depressed by it, uh, understand the resurrection just means that there is nothing impossible, that all things through Christ are possible. And this coming week is going to be an exciting week. And I hope that you are praying that God would move in a special way, that God would use this coming Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, in a special way. And I hope you're marking your calendar to make plans to be with with us. We're going to be at Oak Grove High School. We're going to be out at their football field. And we have invites on the back table. They look something like this. And I'd love for you to grab one. Because what I think happens sometimes is that Not everybody is feeling comfortable volunteering yet. And sometimes when you say, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable volunteering, what the tendency is that, well, I don't want to show up and I see my friends and I see my church family working and then I'm, I'm there wearing my nice new Easter outfit going to find a seat. Hey, you wear your Easter outfit and you show up and worship. It is Resurrection Sunday. This is your church. You show up. Don't worry about nobody else. We are going to greet you, love on you, and say we're excited to see you whether you serve or not because God is building his church. He will take care of the crowds. He'll take care of everything. We're going to do our part, but I don't want you to miss out. So I want you to make plans to be there at either the 9 a.m. service or the 11 a.m. service. And there may be a third service in there somewhere because the the high school asked us to limit our crowd size. So we have to limit each service to 400. And that's going to be hard to do. You've gone to our Easter's. You know that's going to be hard. So we may need to add to service because the way registration is looking, we're already halfway there. And then, so one thing we will do for sure is we're going to add a sunrise service at 7.15 a.m. You say, I like getting up early. Well, we got a service for you. Now, really what this was going to be is we were going to do a huddle for the team, and then I had kind of a more of a devotional message that I was going to bring. But then we talked to the team, and a few people, you you really like sunrise service. And uh, I came from a church that every year we would do a sunrise service at sunrise, which meant I had to be there really early. And one thing you need to know about me, I like to go to bed early, and I like to get up late. I just like sleeping, okay? There's something great about sleeping, so I don't mind getting up early, and I don't mind staying up late, but I prefer the other way around. And uh, the pastor would always have me do the sunrise service, and I was like, 
how come, how come you don't do the sunrise service? Why I got to get up early? You know, he's like, well, I'm preaching the main service, and I got to be fresh and ready. I was like, okay, all right. But we're going to do a sunrise service. Even though sunrise is at 647, we're going to do it at 715, so it'll just after sunrise. But if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you there. We will have some coffee and refreshments for you. I heard rumors that there's going to be a donut truck there. Uh, you've heard of a food truck. But this is a whole nother thing. This is a donut truck, okay? This is way better. So it's going to be a great service. Not only are we going to have that, but then also we've got our 9 a.m. service and our 11 a.m. service. And like I said, we may add a third one in there. But we want you to be a part of it. If you haven't volunteered, you want to volunteer, we've got a bribe for you. I know that's terrible in church to have a bribe. But I have a bribe for you. Say, what's the bribe? I got a free T-shirt on the back. The theme of this year's epic Easter is death is canceled. Uh, we're hearing that word a lot lately, aren't we? Canceled. I think it's time we talk about what really needs to be canceled. And Jesus' resurrection proves that death is what's canceled. So that's what we're going to celebrate. Can we just thank the Lord that he canceled death? I mean, the one thing everybody's most afraid of. So I'm going to preach on that this Sunday and that death is canceled. We've got a great shirt. I really like this shirt. Pastor Masal had him made. I said, that's just a cool shirt just to have a shirt. So if you say, hey, I'd love to volunteer, or if you say, hey, yeah, I can help out for a little bit, drop by, grab a shirt. If you've already signed up, great, grab your shirt, and so you're ready. And if you're available this Saturday, you want to help set up. Maybe you can't make it Sunday, but you want to help us set up on Saturday. Saturday, Oak Grove High School, we're going to try to do a full setup. We have security that's going to watch our equipment overnight so we can leave everything all set up. It's going to be great. Well, I need to get to the word. Let's go to Joshua chapter number 14. Joshua chapter number 14, we're in a series entitled Divine Direction, and we have been asking ourselves a question, and that is, how do we make right choices? How do we make right choices? Because that's the thing today, where, where you see culture, where you see people, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what you were thinking when you made that decision. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. And so culture today is making some decisions. One of the things that culture is now going to be faced with a new decision is there's a new shoe that Little Nas came out with, all right? I don't necessarily listen to Little Nas, I just saw the ad. And it is Satan's shoe. I kid you not, this is a real shoe. They're only making 666 of the shoe, and it's going to have human blood in the shoe. It's Satan's shoe. Little Nas is promoting it. And I was thinking, man, you would think people would know, just don't buy that shoe. You would think people would know. But no, he's going to make a lot of money selling this shoe. And it's amazing that we live in that culture now where when it comes to choices, what we used to think were just, that's an easy choice. You're going to make the right decision. You're going to do the right thing. And then they don't. And then the person doesn't. So let's not take it for granted that people know how to make wise choices. We said in week number one, we need to live by God's will, not our whims. Too often when you make a decision, it's based on our whims. Oh, I felt like this. I felt like that. Hey, this isn't like going to Rite Aid or Thrifties and going to pick ice cream. And you're like, hey, yeah, I feel like pistachio today. Like, who likes pistachio? It's just kind of a different ice cream, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, it just, it's not one of those easy things. And then last week we said uh, when it comes to God's divine direction, the biggest enemy to divine direction is our desires. And we said there's two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God and pleasing self. But today, I want to back it up a little bit. Because it's not just about making wise and right decisions. What about when we haven't made the right decision? What do we do then? What do we do about those things in our past? We say, yeah, I wish I could have a do-over there. Man, I wish I could go back and fix that. 
I wish I could change that decision. You see, we've all made our fair share of bad decisions. But does that mean it's too late to make good decisions? Is it over for us? I love what one person has said. I don't know who said it, but they said it's never the right time to do the wrong thing, but it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And that's what we're going to look at today. In Joshua 14, I love this passage because you've got two battle-hardened warriors, leaders of Israel. And this is going to be their last recorded meeting in the Bible in Joshua 14. It's two men who have seen it all. We don't have too many places out here, but when I spent some time in Tennessee, you could walk into a local diner and you would just see some people that they have, they've been around. They'll get there early, they'll grab their coffee, and they just sit there for hours and they swap war stories. Hard to find a place like that in the Bay Area, right? First thing, it's too expensive to retire here, so most people leave somewhere else where it's a little bit more affordable. But you can kind of picture that here's these two men. The one is Joshua, the son of Nun, the leader who took over after Moses. And the other is Caleb. The two men who, when they were sent in by Moses to spy out the land with the other uh, ten Israelite leaders of their tribes, they were the only two who gave a good report. The other ten gave a fearful report. They were scared. So here is Joshua and Caleb, and they're meeting. And you can kind of get a sense that they hadn't seen each other for a while, and this is a great moment to just kind of reminisce. It's a great moment to be together. And let's pick it up in verse number six, if we can. If you have God's word, would you open there? If not, it'll be on the screen, or maybe you could download the YouVersion Bible app to follow along. Because Caleb is going to take Joshua down memory lane. And I want you to see this, verse number six. The Bible says this. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me from Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. What is Caleb saying? I follow God's will, not my whims. Verse 9, so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. We do the math, he's 85 years old. And we continue, and he says, Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was on that day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how Anakim was there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
the Kenizzite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Caleb is a man who can't live with the choice that was made 40 years ago. You see, there was some divine direction 40 years ago that he was given. It was clear what God wanted them to do. God wanted them to cross into the Red Sea, excuse me, cross over the Jordan, and then God wanted them to take the promised land. But because of 10, they persuaded the multitude to turn, and they got to the point where they almost wanted to stone Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And here it is, 45 years later, and what's still on Caleb's mind? That one choice. I mean, maybe some of us would be like, Caleb, come on, let it go. That was 45 years ago. Come on, let bygones be bygones. But Caleb, no, he can't, he can't move on from this because there was something in the past that he didn't like that decision. So he now says, no, we've got to make that right. We can't go on. Now, here's what's interesting. We're in Joshua chapter number 14. It's not like they just got into the promised land. They've spent some time here. I don't know what's happened that just kind of riled Caleb up, but Caleb at this moment is saying, God promised me something, and I'm going after it. What is Caleb really saying to Joshua? What he's really saying to Joshua is what I want to say to you this evening. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Here's Joshua. Joshua's old. Joshua's a leader. As a matter of fact, you can go back just one chapter And here's what God says to Joshua. And Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and stricken in years. (laughs) Thanks, God. I need that one. I don't have mirrors down here. I'm glad you reminded me that I got my sciatica hurting, that I got this walker that doesn't work, you know, all these problems. God says, You're very old. But then God also says, But there remains yet much land to be possessed. That was the chapter before. And then his old battle buddy, Caleb, comes knocking. And Caleb says, hey, Joshua, we're not done yet. Hey, Southridge, we're not done yet. You say, well, we don't have a building of our own. We don't have this. Hey, we're not done yet. We have not yet begun to see all that God has for us because God has made the church a promise. What is that promise? He gave that promise in Matthew. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church, we have a promise from God. It doesn't matter what the county, what the government says. We have a promise from God that God's gonna build this church and we're not done yet. We're not finished. We're not gonna rest. We're not gonna be quiet. We're gonna keep on going because we are are not done yet we need some Caleb's who say you know what I still got some strength I still got some spark now it's interesting that Caleb at 85 you would think hey if you still got your strength Caleb man why aren't you doing something else you know like like working on some hobbies you know rebuilding some old cars you got, you know, working on some other things, you know, taking, taking the family on a vacation or what. No, Caleb says, I've got strength, but my strength is for a reason. I don't just have it for my enjoyment. This is not about me. This is that God has given me something to do. God has given each and every one of us some strength, some resources to accomplish what he has called us to. You cannot change a bad decision, but you can say, you know what? I'm not going to let it go anymore. There's something I'm going to make right. We're not done yet.
You have to look at your marriage and say, we're not done yet. You have to look at your parenting and say, I'm not done yet. You have to look at your job and say, I'm not done yet. Uh, there's a funny story. When Jane and I were dating, uh, she said, hey, I think our relation's done. And in my arrogance, I looked at her and said, this relationship isn't over until I say it's over. Yeah. She slapped me twice. No, just kidding. She didn't slap me. But I was like, it's not over until I say it's over. She was like, okay, I'm not going to talk to you. I was like, fine, I am going to talk to you. And so I stalked her. Kid you not. Like, total creeper status. I'm surprised she didn't get a judge to get a court order warrant to put a, a restraining order against me. Because everywhere she would go, she would sit in her classroom, and I, I knew where she sat, so I'd put a note there. Even though she wouldn't talk to me, there was a note. I left a present with a big uh, uh, banner on it said, this is for Jane, and set it by her dorm room. She texted me and said, don't take it. I don't want it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not taking it back. Her window was right up there. I could see her window. I put the present for her. She was into Winnie the Pooh. It was a big old Winnie the Pooh thing. It was really obnoxious, and I just left it. I was like, I'm not getting it. And she was like, you're not going to make me get that. We're not talking. I was like, yeah, we are. Come get your Winnie the Pooh gift. And I just walked off, made her mad. But guess what? I married her. I did something right. So there comes a point where you've got to say, hey, I'm not done with this yet. I'm not about, yes, I've made some mistakes, but I'm not about to just walk away from this. Here, Caleb, he's in the, the land, and he's saying, we're not done yet, Joshua. There are some things that God has called us to do. God wants us to keep moving forward. The hardest part for me in ministry is when I'm with families and couples and people that have been a part of our church, that they stop too soon. They let one bad choice dominate a domino effect and two bad choices, and it snowballs. And then they just give up. Instead of saying, no, we're not done yet. We need to keep going. You see, Caleb, he believed something back then, didn't he? He even says in numbers, he says, we're well able to do this. Caleb believed it when he was 40. And guess what? He still believes it when he's 85. I want to be the type of Christian that still believes the Bible, still believes in God, still has my faith 45 years from now. Because, Caleb, 45 years have passed, 40 years of those wandering in the wilderness, and yet he still believes that God has given him something. He hasn't lost his faith. Some of, the, some of us know people that lose their faith in about 45 minutes. Gets just cut off in traffic. It's like, oh, man, no, I am not Christian right now. No. Somebody posts something bad about us on social media, and we just let it go right out. No, I'm not Christian. You see, Caleb, it's not pride for him. It's purpose. He believed that God had given him a purpose, and that purpose was driving him. And it's what needs to drive us as a body, as a community, that we realize that, church, we're not done yet. That there are things that God has called us to. That God has called us to such an hour as this. That God is doing something. You and I may look with the eyes of man, with the natural eyes, but we've got to say, God, give me spiritual sight to see what you are building, to see what you are doing, to see that there are lost people that need Jesus, to see that there are marriages that need to be restored, to see that there's a nation that is in trouble, and the church of God is its only hope right now. And you and I have to step back and say, we've got something to do. I don't have to get discouraged. We're not done yet. It's not over. And we need a Caleb mentality. We need a Caleb uh, uh, motivation where it says, we're going to do something. 
We're not just going to sit back. Easter's coming. God's going to do something special this coming Sunday. There are people already that are messaging us saying, hey, can I get baptized at your church at Easter? And we're like, yes, come on, get baptized on Easter at our church. We're excited to see you. There are people that don't know it, but their life is going to be forever changed this coming Sunday. There are people that don't know it, but this is going to be the turning point for their life. And yes, you may sacrifice, and yes, you may show up, and it's hot, and yes, it may not be easy, but yet we're not done yet as a church. God is doing something just like he was doing then. You see, Caleb was frustrated because he wanted a mountain. He said clearly, man, we can take it. It's interesting, in Numbers, we don't have time to read it, but Numbers 13, verses 26 through 30, the other 10 spies said, hey, the children of Anakim are there. Those are giants. And then these people went on to say, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're nothing compared to them. We don't stand a chance. Isn't it interesting that our fears are more based more on how we see ourselves than how we see the enemy? The enemy didn't say, you guys are grasshoppers. They said, we're grasshoppers. We do it like this. Man, I'm just terrible at relationships. We start speaking to ourselves. Oh, man, I'm just never going to overcome this addiction. I'm just, I'm just, I'm never going to be get, able to get a hold of my temper. I'm just never going to be really a faithful person. I'm just never, wait a minute. Our fears are based more on how we see ourselves than how the enemy sees us. And we are falling for the same trap as those Israelites that we start calling ourselves grasshoppers. There's a passage where uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the woman there in Jericho is talking, and she says the exact same thing, that all the people, they were afraid because they said, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna die like, like, like grasshoppers because the Israelites are coming. You see, what you're afraid of just might be afraid of you. But yet, too often, we let our fear stop us. You see, Caleb remembered he had a reason to fight. I love what William Carey, the father of uh, missions to India, said. He said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. I think we've failed to attempt great things for God. And if anybody's been a part of Southward Church for any length of time, you know we just attempt great things for God. And we just believe that God will come through. And every Easter, it's just as nerve-wracking. It's just as tense. We never know exactly what's going to happen. We plan and we work and we pray and we fast. And then we just say, God, it's your day. What do you want to do? And we step out of the way and God just takes over. Last year was the same thing. The year before that at the stadium. The year before that, the first time went to Oak Grove High School. God has always shown up when there has been a people that will simply say, I expect God to do great things. You see, right now we live in a day and age where I feel like Christians have kind of stopped expecting God to do great things. Maybe because you say, well, he just hasn't come through, and so I just kind of give up expecting. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. God owes me nothing. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins to save me from eternity in hell. So he owes me nothing. So whatever I get is amazing. But yet the mission that God has called me to 
is so much greater that it is worth any pain. It's worth any failure. It's worth any discouragement. It's worth pursuing. So it doesn't matter if God shows up or he doesn't show up because I know that the mission is worth it. I know it's worth the sacrifice because when you see one person give their life to Christ, all of heaven rejoices. So it is worth it when just one person receives Christ. But here's God's never failed us. It's never just been one person though. It's been dozens and hundreds and yes, sometimes at the stadium we saw over a thousand hands go up. And so God shows up when there's a people that says, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. It's not time to give up. It's not time to be discouraged. Caleb persevered. He had a reason to fight. You see, I love this too. In verse number six, would you notice something? The Bible says, then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And if you have a, a Bible and a highlighter or a pencil, would you circle the word Gilgal? You see, this is a, a, a historic place in the nation of Israel. You see, just before they went into Jericho, uh, God told Joshua, hey, sanctify all the men. And he had all the men sanct uh, 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 circumcised at Gilgal. At Gilgal was a place of where the Bible says it means the rolling away. It's like the rolling back the hands of time. And here they are once again at Gilgal. And what does Caleb want to do? He wants to roll back an event that happened 45 years ago. He's saying, hey, Joshua, remember that conversation? Remember how I said I wanted that mountain 45 years ago? Well, guess what? I still want it. And I'm here at Gilgal, and Gilgal means to roll back. I want to roll back time. I want to go back, and I want to fix that. I want to go back. You see, you may not be able to go back in time, but I believe that God sometimes in his mercy gives us an opportunity to fix some things or to redo some things. He shows up in his mercy, and he says, hey, here's an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss this moment right now because this is what's so important. This is what matters right now. This is the most important thing. It doesn't matter anything else that's happening, but yet God is saying this is your Gilgal where I can roll it back. Do you pray for those opportunities? Because here's what I know what Satan likes to do with me, and maybe he likes to do it with you. He likes to remind you of all those bad things. Maybe you go to a neighborhood, or you go to a place, and all of a sudden you're like, I need to get out of here because I remember doing that there, I remember doing that there, and that, and that. Oh, man, this is bad. This is really bad. Don't need to be here. How about we say, God, give me an opportunity to fix that. God, when you give me the opportunity to see that person that I've wronged, let me, let me say I'm sorry. Let me try to make amends. God, because Satan comes with all the guilt and all the shame, so God, give me a Gilgal where I can roll that thing back so I can fix that because there was a bad choice. And here God in his mercy gives Caleb another opportunity. But it doesn't stop there. I love this verse, verse 6. Here's what Caleb also says to Joshua. I love this. He says, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. When I read that this week, I was like, what did God say to Moses about Joshua and Caleb? I'm nosy like that. Somebody says, oh, I heard somebody talk about this, you this week. Oh, I want to know what they said. Aren't you like that? Oh, no, you're all spiritual. You're all at church. No, no, you're not like that. Well, let's just say you have a friend that's like that, and then you hear that they like to talk about you at the office or at work or in the family. Let's just say you have a friend that likes to know what people say about you because your ears are burning. I was like, God, 
what happened? What is it that God said to Moses about Joshua and Caleb? Because obviously it stayed with Caleb for 45 years. I mean, it's 45 years later, and it must have been good because Caleb, he still remembers it. Mark Twain said, I could live a whole year off of one good compliment. Well, this is 45 years later, so it must have been something really powerful. So I had to do a little Bible study to find out exactly what did God say about him. And I love it because in Numbers 14, here's what God said to Moses. He said, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. Hey, guys, up in the balcony, we're having church up here. Uh, Brian or Alvin, can you go talk to the boys up there? I know they're playing video games. We're having church. They can go in the lobby. Thank you. I love having kids in the auditorium. I love it. I do. But we, gotta, we only got a few minutes, and we, we don't have a whole lot of time. And I see some of you guys looking up there. So we love kids. We're glad they're here. I hope they keep coming back. But let's uh, stay focused on God's word. I know it's warm and everything. We want to stay focused on what God has for us. Because here in this passage, all of a sudden, what we see, is God is saying something spectacular about Caleb. He's saying, Caleb, you stand out because you've got a different spirit. There's something different about you. And so I love what Caleb is basically saying to Joshua is, hey, Josh, you remember what God said about us. And here we are. And then Caleb kind of has a little passive aggressiveness about him. He says, hey, Josh, God said it not me. Would you write that down? He said it, not me. Because there's some things that God has said about you and me. I didn't say it. This word said it about us. And so Caleb not only is saying, hey, guys, there's something we've got to do, but remember, God said something about us. God has spoken something different over us. He said about Caleb, hey, you're, you're something different, Caleb. You stand out. You have a different spirit. Oh, today that we had people of a different spirit. You see, what God said about Caleb is what sustained Caleb. What God said is what sustained him. What are you looking at that God is saying about you? Because it'll sustain you. It'll keep you. Because you and I, we're looking for somebody else to sustain us. Why do we think we care about what people say about us on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat? Because we're living for compliments. We're living for somebody to say something about us. And yet God has written an entire book. It's an entire love letter to you and I. And yet we don't get in it. And we don't say, God, what have you said to me? What have you said about me? And we get in God's word and all of a sudden he begins to speak life. And he begins to speak truth about us. Because some of us are falling for culture's lies. Some of us are falling for things that are going to destroy our lives. And yet we need to understand that God has spoken a better word over us. Which word are we believing? And I want to remind you, I didn't say it. He said it about you. And that's what Caleb is doing. Caleb is saying, God said it, not me. And so because of that, he's able to go forward. Caleb's able to do what other people normally wouldn't because he was a man of a different spirit. You see, men of a different spirit ask for new mountains. Men of a different spirit say, God, you've called us to something else. And that's what Caleb decided to do. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask for something big. What are you asking God for? What type of spirit? I know right now it's, it's tough, isn't it? You see what's happened on the news. You see with your friends. It seems like you don't even know how to have a conversation with even just regular people because you're just kind of nervous that, you know, I'm probably going to offend somebody no matter what I say, so I'm just not going to say anything. It's so hard to talk to people nowadays. And you just kind of get into this thing where you're just, 
closed off into what God wants to say to you. But instead, we need to have some people that have that different spirit say, no, God, there's still mountains out there. There are still things you've called me to. But then I want you to write this down. Different season, but it wasn't a different spirit. 45 years passed, but Caleb still had the same spirit. It was a different season. Hey, Caleb could have just backed off of that. Remember when we were in grade school, people would ask you what you want to be? And you said, oh, I want to be a, a, a fighter pilot. I want to be a fireman. Oh, I want to be an astronaut. And then now you're kind of like, yeah, you open your yearbook and you look at it. Yeah, 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 I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, whatever. That was, that was a long time ago. Caleb wasn't that kid. He's like, want to see my yearbook? Look, this is what it said, that I'm going to be a mountain climber. I'm going to take that mountain. I knew it in kindergarten. I knew it in high school. I knew it in college. And guess what? I'm 85 and I did it. I did it. He's still going for it. He was a man of a different spirit. Even though the season changed, his spirit didn't. He still had that spirit. See, here's what happens in culture today. You go through ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, and we're not following God's divine direction, and we have a different spirit for every season. Instead of just being consistent, and write this down, consistency beats intensity. And some of us, man, when we're on, we're on, and when we're off, we're really off. And we just live in these, oh, man, it was, it was a great time to be at church, great time to be a Christian. And you take a three-month hiatus. Oh, and then you come back, oh, I need God, and I need this, and you, you get all on fire for God. But consistency beats intensity. And Caleb is a person that had that consistency. For 45 years, he's got that consistency that he says, God has spoken this. God has called us to this. And I love it. The Bible even tells us that he, Caleb even said, hey, I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then God corroborates his story by saying, you wholly followed me. And then in verse 14, we see that God gave him the inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord. He never lost that spirit. He never lost that zeal. He never lost that desire. But yet you and I, we can have that too. May we have that passion where we say, you know what, I'm going to wholly follow God. I'm going to seek after God. But too often, we make excuses. I mean, Caleb's 85. He could have just said, I'm too old for this. Where's the next generation? But you know what? He doesn't. And because he doesn't, oh, my goodness, Caleb has some strong, strong, that next generation that came after Caleb. You read about Caleb's daughter. She's amazing. You read about Caleb's son. He was amazing. Why? Because they saw dad's legacy. They saw that dad's spirit didn't matter. He was still passionate for God. He still was going to serve God. Didn't matter if it got harder. Didn't matter if the challenge got more difficult. It didn't matter if they shut you down. Didn't matter what pandemic came. Didn't matter what people said about culture. Didn't matter what people say about Christians. They were just consistent. Doesn't matter if people made fun of him. He just stayed consistent. You and I in this season, we need to say, Lord, I'm going to be consistent. You see, God preserved his strength, or God preserves the strength of those who wholly or wholeheartedly follow him. I mean, some of us, we want to live longer, but why? You ever just stop and ask yourself that question? Why should I get to live longer if I'm not doing anything with life? I mean, just stop for a second. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean and saying your, your life is worth That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to ask ourselves the question. I got this time. I got this moment. What am I doing with it? Am I just kind of letting it go by? We live in a 
critical time right now. So much has happened. And I believe this is the greatest moment for the church. I believe it's the most challenging, the most difficult, the most sensitive time. No matter what you do, you're going to make somebody upset. So you, know, you have to know you're following what God told you to do because it's going to tick off somebody. And so you're not going to please everybody. So you have to say, at least I'm pleasing and I'm living for an audience of one. And so we need that spirit that says, hey, I can still keep a smile on my face. I can still love people. I can still serve. Because Caleb said, I wholly followed the Lord. You see, because he said, he said it, not me. What has God said to you recently? He said, I don't know. Maybe that's the question you need to ask in your prayer time this week. God, what, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? And just sit there and wait for an answer. You know, every time we do an epic Easter or something like that, it's not because we just want volunteers. Is we believe that maybe that chance where you volunteer, may a spark might happen. And you're going to connect with a certain person. That person's going to give their life to Jesus. And in that moment, you're going to say, this is why I was created. I was created so that people meet Jesus. I'm, a, I'm an Andrew. Andrew in the New Testament was always bringing people to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. He was always finding people, saying, hey, come meet Jesus. It's Andrew. It's not just because we need somebody to check people in and somebody in Ridge Kids. We believe that maybe there will be a teacher in Ridge Kids that will help one of our young people fall in love with Jesus. And that way it will combat everything that culture and the world is trying to ram down their throats and all the lies that's out there. That maybe the way you teach and the way that you lead them, all of a sudden they're going to fall in love with Jesus like you fall in love with Jesus. It's not just because, oh, we need people to be greeters. It's we think that maybe that when you're standing there and you're smiling, somebody's had a bad day and they just say, you know what? Man, it's just so encouraging that I know nobody's life is perfect, but I come to that church and I know these people got it tough, but they're happy over there. I know their lives aren't perfect. Because we believe that it may be that spark. And so we've got to step back and say, you know what? We're not done yet. He said it, not me. But then I love this, verse number 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard how in that day the Anakims were there, that the cities were great and fortified. And I love this. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive out as the Lord has said. You know, I love Caleb's faith, but did you see how he said it may be that the Lord will do it? Caleb says, I want the mountain, even though he had no guarantee that God was going to come through for him. He's saying, I'm going to do it anyway, because that's what God told me to do. Outcome doesn't matter. Obedience does. Caleb was focused on obedience, and he said the outcome doesn't matter. Today, Fast forward to our culture, we're all about the outcome. What am I going to get? How much are you going to pay me? How long is it going to take? Where is it going to be? How many hours do you need to be? Uh, how long to take the dishes? How, many, how long are you going to be gone? To, well, do I have to watch the kids? You know, I mean, we're all about the outcome, aren't we? And we do it with God, too. Today, I went by a church. A, a, a pastor said, hey, uh, if you're looking for a church to rent, come on by. So I went by his church today, and uh, he said, hey, I'm so thankful for American missionaries. Just kind of out of the blue. He's a Vietnamese man, nice pastor, older pastor. He said, I just wanted to say that. I was like, 
Is it because I'm the only white person in your auditorium today? I was like, okay, all right. I don't deserve any of the credit. I don't. But he said it, and he said, because I used to be a Buddhist monk. And then a missionary showed up in Vietnam, and a missionary would not give up on me. And he said, here I am. That was 30 years ago. And now I'm a Christian pastor preaching at a church, the gospel reaching the Vietnamese people. I was like, man, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? How awesome is it that there was a missionary that went on a maybe? No guarantee that he was ever going to reach anybody in Vietnam. He just left this country, went to another country. He had no guarantee that that monk would ever convert to Christianity. But yet he had a calling on his life. He obeyed the calling. And now because he obeyed the calling, there's a pastor on the east side who is reaching the Vietnamese people for Jesus Christ. That's what God can do when you and I say, hey, I'll move on a maybe. I don't need a guarantee because my Lord commands me. And when my Lord commands me, there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God and pleasing self. So God is on the top shelf, so I obey. It doesn't matter how big the mountain, doesn't matter how high, I obey. You see, Caleb was willing to say, I'll go forward on a maybe. He didn't need the guarantees. Why do you and I need the guarantees from God? We have a book filled with all the guarantees, but yet that's still not enough for us. You go to John 14, behold, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And yet, sometimes we're like, oh God, what have you done for me lately? And God's like, if you could only see. One New Testament writer says that half has not been told what God has been preparing. You could not imagine what God is doing for you. But yet, you and I are still focused on outcomes. And so yet, we, we, when it comes time to move by faith, we don't. See, I love this about Caleb. Caleb a maybe was enough to go after mountains. A maybe was all he needed. So you're saying there's a chance. That's all he needed. You're saying there's a small little chance. That's a mustard seed of faith if there ever was one. If there ever was a mustard seed of faith, that's Caleb saying, hey, I just got a mustard seed of faith. It may be that he'll give me the mountain. It just might be that God will move for us. But once again, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And God has given us his precious promises. I've shared with you many times that uh, my grandmother, my Oma, she lost her husband at 34 years of age. And they, they had four kids. The youngest is two. The oldest is 12. Husband's gone. Her German pastor came over in the middle of the night. Uh, none of her four children knew that daddy had passed away in the night. They didn't know that. My dad, eight years old, didn't know his dad was gone. Pastor came over in the middle of the night. And they went to an old German Baptist church. And that old German Baptist pastor took my Oma, her name's Gisela, and said, Gisela, tonight you're going to stay up all night, and I want you to go through the entire Bible and find every promise for widows, because that's what's going to sustain you in this season. So she stayed up. And she found every promise that God has given to widows. And did you know there's lots of promises given to widows? God cares about widows. As a matter of fact, one of the last things he did on the cross was take care of a widow, his mom. God cares. There are promises all over the book. God cares about you. He cares about what's happening. So you and I have to say, Lord, I'm going to move on this maybe. I have no guarantees. And Here's the amazing thing. Caleb was the person that simply said, if God said it, I'm going to believe it. And because there was somebody who was willing to believe it, 
God does it. In verse number 14, they win. They see that they get that mountain. They take it. Why is it that we only read about people in the past who did great things for God? Was it just two weeks ago, Luis Palau just passed away? Anybody know Luis Palau? Great evangelist. They called him the Latin American Billy Graham. Powerful man of God. Did you know his ministry started right here in the Bay Area? You know that? Started right here. This is where he, he started his ministry. At a church. I think it was Peninsula Bible Church. It started right here. The man has impacted millions of people. Two U.S. presidents endorsed this book. But how can we only just read about things like that? How come we're not seeing it anymore? Is it only the loose plows that read it and believe it? I'll tell you this. Luis Palau is nothing special. I'm not trying to denigrate his memory. I'm saying he's a man like you and I are. But he simply said, God said it. He said it, not me. I'm just going to believe it. And he went on some maybes. And it wasn't always easy. It was scary. But he kept taking steps of faith. And he kept believing I've got another book. This is by James Stewart. He was a rugby player in Scotland. And at 14 years of age, he gave his life to Christ. It's an old book. It's hard to find. It's out of print. But at 14 years of age, he would preach to packed out stadiums. And he was 14. Rugby, football was a big deal in Scotland at the time. But he was 14. And in the middle, he was already, they, they had clubs in England. They still call them clubs, the different teams. He was already uh, uh, ready to be on a professional club. His career, everything was set. And at 14 years of age, in the middle of a game, he drops to his knees under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He gives his life to Christ, and the rest of it is history. He preached to crowds of tens of thousands. Why is it that we just read about these things? Why are we not seeing them anymore? Why is it that we have books by Leonard Ravenhill recounting the great revivals, the Welsh revival, the Azusa Street revival? Why are we just reading about these things? Why are we seeing it? Is it because we don't believe anymore? Or is it actually because we actually, we go back to point number one. We think we're done. We think we're done. Because we, human nature is, get a little comfortable, just call it good. I got my little Bible study, got a little church, it ain't perfect. Yeah, they asked me to volunteer every once in a while. It's not ideal, but oh well, it's, a, it's an hour once or twice a month. It's no biggie, you know. It's not perfect. I don't know about you, I'm so thankful for Calvary, but this definitely isn't it. We have visions and dreams so far above this. What God has called our church to is so big. It's so great. What God is calling in this season, after we've seen a really an uncovering of what the American church really is, that's what COVID did. It was the great revealing of where the church is at. That the church is spineless, no backbone, no courage. That they fold under the pressure. That they melt like plastic. We don't have men of courage. We don't have men of conviction today. You say, that's, that's, that's mean. No, it's not. I'm tired of reading Christianity Today where Andy Stanley gets up and says, I am ashamed of all the churches that bucked against the government during COVID. Oh my goodness. You're ashamed that people stood up for the gospel? So what would you say to the Christians in China right now, Andy? What about them? What would you say to the people that are in uh, 
these Muslim countries that if they hold this book, that hand can be cut off. That the greatest persecution didn't happen thousands of years ago. The greatest persecution of the church is happening now. And yet we've got our air-conditioned buildings, and yet we still think we're done. Like, we've got a nice little building, nice little things, and we could just kind of put it in neutral, and we're good. We just want a nice little sermonette from a cute little pastor. Hey, keep it under 45 minutes, get a nice little worship set, and then we go home, go to our life groups, and just kind of, that was, that was church, and we just check it off our list. That's not this church. Go find somewhere else. Because we believe we're not done yet. We believe that God has spoken something to us. And we are the church that moves on maybes. We bet the farm. We go big. We go all out. Nothing held back. We continue to go. You take away a building, not a problem. We'll go somewhere else. You want to leave the church, not a problem. We'll keep going because God has called us to something. You don't want to show up, fine. Don't show up. I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep going because it's what I'm called to. Because there's a mountain out there and there are more giants to be slain. There's a generation to fight for. Because I'm not going to let little Nas influence our children that they need to buy satanic shoes. I'm not going to let the LGBT movement destroy the next generation and ruin their life and just quietly sit by. Andy Stanley can put the transgenders on the platform like he's doing. He can promote them. He can do it. I will not. We will not. We have nothing against, but we've got to say God has given us the word and we're going to stand on that because I believe that God wants to do something like he did in the past. And we're not just going to sit idly by Yes, we're going to build buildings. Yes, we're going to have these things. But today is a day where we move on maybes. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And I know that's scary. And I know most of the time it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I know up here you say, man, Pastor, you sound really brave. I am the most afraid person you've ever met. I am so scared. When we walk through San Francisco, I grab Jane like this. Because I know she's strong. She can protect me. Watch her Instagram videos. She can bench press me. She's strong, man. Don't mess with her. I told you, take flip-flops and beat you to death with it. But the craziest thing about Jane is she grew up on an island. And she loves the island. She loves the sea. She's like Moana. Just doesn't sing as much. And so we go out in the ocean. And here's the thing. I hate the ocean. I don't like things that are bigger than me in the ocean. And we were out there, and she's like, I want to go swimming in the ocean. The funny thing is, she loves the water, but she gets seasick faster than anybody. It doesn't matter what kind of boat. It could be a big boat, small boat, paddle boat, row boat. She's going to get seasick. And I wish I could get seasick. Then I wouldn't have to go. <laughs> and I say, babe, I get seasick. I can't do it. But no, I'm on the boat, and they got food. And I'm just, rom, 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 eating food. And I'm like, please get sick. Please get sick. Then I never have to do this. No, we saw massive whales swimming around us. She's like, ready to jump in the ocean? No, I'm not. And then she's like, come on, be a man. I was like, oh, great. You had to say it. So I jump in the water. I paddle around, and I got a video of it. I had a little, little waterproof thing for my camera. I stuck it in there, and I did a little doggy paddle in the ocean. I see, I'm in the ocean. I'm in the ocean. And she jumps in. She has a blast when she's in the water. And then she came up. She was looking for me. I was on the boat waving to her. She was like, what do you mean you're already on the boat? I said, I timed it. I was in that ocean for 12 and a half minutes. That's pretty good. We swam in the ocean. We did it. She said, this is a five-hour snorkeling trip. I said, yeah, I got my 12 minutes. I'm good. Some people need five hours. I need 12 minutes. That's it because I'm terrified of the ocean. There are things that scare me. But when it comes to the call of God, 
there is a courage that God gives for you and I when we are willing to move on the maybes. There is a bravery that says, oh, man, I'm, I'm really nervous to go serve around these people. You know what? Well, we got masks and we got sanitizer. And we say, okay, God, I'm scared to serve with this pandemic still going on. But I'm going to serve. Man, I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm scared to, to go to church. This is nerve-wracking for me. And I commend you. I commend you. Man, I'm scared because I know some of you, you can't even tell your boss that you go to church. You know that, right? You know we have people like that? You didn't know that there are people that will fire you because they found out you go to church right now? You got people in this church right now, if they say, hey, if I tell my boss, it's over. They don't want us going to church. Are you kidding me? There are people right now, they're even feeling that cancel culture. But yet they're saying, I'm going to move on to maybe. And that's what the church has lost. We don't move on maybes. And that's why a culture is just like, nah, who cares about the church? They will roll over, play dead. They just go along with everything. They'll even support people that are for abortion. They'll do it. Watch. Watch them. They'll do it. They'll support people that are fine with human trafficking. They'll do it. Watch. They do it. And it's sad. It's sad. So it stands to us to say, hey, how do we move on the maybes then? What is God calling us to? What's, what can we do? And that is preach the gospel. And we keep going. We're persistent. We're passionate. We say, hey, we're going to love fiercely. We're not going to give up. We're not going to stop. Every Sunday we get fined $5,000 for what? The attendance cap is set at 50% for this building. We could have 1,000 people in here. We're well below the attendance cap. But the county, I saw them in the back windows. They still came. They write us a little note, $5,000 bill. Every Sunday, Jane looks at me. She's like, mm, that wasn't a $5,000 sermon. Sorry. That wasn't. It's a $10 sermon, not $5,000. It's like, I know, I'm trying. But yet we say, you know what? God's called us to this thing. We're going to keep moving and saying, God, it's your church. And here's what's exciting right now. I'm getting to see God prepare us that prepare us for something. I was reading Judges, and I'm going to close with this. Judges chapter number one. And Jesus, or excuse me, the, the writer of Judges said that God intentionally left some enemies there to prepare the children of Israel. You know, God sometimes leaves some battles for us to fight. He sometimes leaves some for us, make us stronger. And this whole season, I know it's hard. I commend everybody for going to church at five. It's so hard. Especially if you've got little kids that haven't taken a nap, it's hard. So I commend you. But yet, God is making us stronger, getting us ready for this next stage. So we have to be willing to say, I'm going to move on the maybes. I'm going to invite the worship team to the front. Maybe this is your chance where you say, what is that thing that God has called me to? I, 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 can't, I can't maybe fix it right now, but God's brought something to my mind that I'd like to undo in my past, and maybe this is your moment where God is saying, yeah, it's about making divine, following divine direction, but it's about saying, God, there's some things I'd like to change, and unless you do a miracle, I'm not gonna be able to fix those things. But I don't want us to come to 85 and have these regrets that we didn't at least make an attempt. Caleb just couldn't live in a world where he didn't at least try to go after that mountain. He said, I just can't live in that world, Josh. And he lets Josh know as much. He tells Joshua, look, we're not done yet. 
You and I are not done yet. I don't care what age or stage you are. God is not done with us. He is not done with you. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? God has such great things in store for people who take him at his word, who take what he says to them and says, I believe it and I will follow it and I will do it. And they will find that they can see the world changed, that they will see things changed in their life and in their situations. Because they looked at God's word and said, hey, this is, this is a moment. And maybe this evening, God has shown you some areas where he's saying, yeah, we can, we can work on this. We can change this. You need to go make this right. You can work on this. This could be a Gilgal moment where you say, God, would you roll back that? Would you take that back out of my life, that regret, that, that situation, God? Would you roll it back for me? Would you pray and ask God to do that? Or maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, and somebody invited you. The first thing to roll back is that Jesus, when he, when he died on the cross, he rolled back your sin. He took it away. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin from you. That whoever puts their faith and trust in him is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. If you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, then let today be that day, Palm Sunday, the week before the resurrection. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up the altar if you'd like to come forward and pray and seek God. Grace, Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the moments, the time that we have together around your word. I thank you that we can dive into this book. We can dive into your word. We can see its truths. We can see that we're not done yet, that the work still goes forward. We can see that you said it, not us. This is not our ideas. It's not our thoughts. This is your word. And then God, help us to move on those maybes. Where we just by faith, we just step out and say, all right, Lord, I trust you and do what you called me to and watch you do the miraculous. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to pray at the altar, you may come forward or you can make an altar right there at your seat. But right now, let's spend some time with the Lord. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.